the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off your annual subscription. That's $2.99 a month, just about a cup of coffee a month for a ton of podcasts, plenty of articles across the sports landscape, including a featured article today from the Major League Baseball staff of The Athletic, kind of breaking down their thoughts, their memories, their uh, their stories from Ken Griffey Jr. on the heels of a really nice documentary that put on by Major League Baseball Network last night. Uh, really nice cameos from Harold Rodriguez, LeBron James, a couple of, uh, you know, players that maybe are athletes who maybe don't, from the outside, you, you look at that and you say, why are these guys there, From at least from a LeBron standpoint? Um, and then you sort of understand the, the connection, the parallels, and I thought that was a really nice angle to this, not to mention it really kind of held true to Griffey. It was family first, baseball second, but but the the relationship that those two things had with him as a young kid, obviously, and then as that went into his career, I mean, 10 years into his career, he had to make a gigantic decision, of course, and force his way out of Seattle for family purposes. I thought it did really, really nice justice to the mental part of that, and certainly, you know, what happened when he got to Cincinnati and the rest is unfortunate history. But, you know, I think I'd, I thought it hit all the notes. Maybe it didn't do enough on him playing in a steroid era and addressing the fact that many think he's the, the best, cleanest player of that generation. Uh, but it did touch on it. It didn't just ignore it. That was nice. I thought the Cooperstown bit of it was really nice. I was I happened to be there for that. Um, I'm a big Griffey guy. That's my guy going back. So. I ventured out to Cooperstown for that, sat on the hill to watch that speech. And I thought that was a really nice nice touch because it was the icing on the cake to everything that he had spoken to for the last hour and a half. Meaning, if you just sit on a hill and watch that speech and you don't know much about Griffey going in, maybe that's a little awkward to you. But having seen the 90 minutes of, of documentary there leading up to it, you can understand that, my goodness, it, this was... Baseball was an absolute joy to him, and you saw it on that big smile every single game. But I I believe that that the family life was maybe even more important. And it was a struggle for him to have to leave and to to, to be in Seattle for 10-plus years, you know, as a 17-year-old kid. I mean, just imagine that from your perspective, if you're just ripped away, you know, by choice, to make millions. So I understand there's, you know, there's not a direct parallel to our lives. But, you know, anyone leaving home at 17... And uh, being asked to put the world on their back, which is what he what he did, and certainly he delivered, but it had to uh, he had to grow up pretty darn fast, is my point. And with that, you, you kind of have to look and turn and see, you know, who's there by my side. And you can understand him a decade later saying, "I just want to go back to Cincinnati and be able to make this easier for me." Finally, where you know I've got parents, I've got you know a wife and kids who can be there for home games and be there to come home to on a more regular basis. I mean, you read these stories on the athletic here. Most of these beat guys were the national baseball writers who dealt with him during the playing career. It was a pain in the ass to get baseball talk out of this guy because quite frankly, what does he need to talk about? He left everything on the field. This guy wanted to talk about his kids constantly. That's what everybody keeps saying here over and over. He just wanted to talk family. He wanted to talk about your family. And there were there's stories here about, you know, sick mothers and sick sick kids and, and and deaths in the family, things like that. And he was 
over the top expressive and emotional and uh, did very well to keep those people in his heart, which you could see. You could just see that yesterday watching this thing. That was a big part of it. That, that was maybe his getaway from the pomp and circumstance that comes with being the generational player that he was. And that's another, another side of this. I followed him really closely. I mean, I had this, I had the spikes, I had the posters, the cards, you know, typical. So I knew how big he was. He was Jordan big, no missteps. I mean, no missteps, almost LeBron-esque, which is why I said it's kind of neat that they brought LeBron into this, not only because of the playing, playing in your hometown, playing with family, uh, having kids and a family while you became this phenom superstar, which LeBron spoke to, but then also being this multimedia icon, video games, production companies, tons of commercials, tons of merchandise, all this stuff, all the stuff we've come to know from LeBron who, oh, by the way, love him or hate him, he's handled that stuff extremely well. Uh, no missteps, no missteps. So I thought it was a really nice correlation to put these two people uh, in the same 90 minute documentary sort of speaking to each other because there is, uh, there's a connection there that I just didn't, I didn't think of. And that, that it seems right now going back to, you know, 10, 12 year old Mike watching Griffey and being mesmerized by him on the field, but also seeing just him explode as, as this commercial icon. That's certainly what happened to LeBron and it happened to him at 17. So, <laughs> Oh, by the way. And I think, uh, you know, maybe another basketball player in Kobe could have had something to say about this as well if circumstances were different. But nice little documentary. See if you can find it and stream that on Major League Baseball Network. And like I said, visit The Athletic for this Griffey piece and plenty of more news. Theathletic.com slash SpotTrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C. My name is Mike Janetti. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Maybe fathers-to-be. I know there's plenty of those around here right now. It's quarantine time, right? <laughs> So hope it was a good weekend. We finally had some sports back. I got my fill of Premier League soccer, a little Bundesliga, a little golf. Now, no NASCAR. We'll have to get to that today. Another rain delay. It's that time of year, unfortunately, those summer storms. But at least there are things to at least look forward to. And we're going to look forward to a little bit more of the NBA news on the Hit Parade Hotline with Scott Allen, who's got a ton of info from a financial standpoint. Assuming that the bubble works. You know, we get there and there's a postseason and we finish off this current season. He's got a calendar of how things should work from a, a playoff schedule and then an off-season schedule, a draft schedule. And then he's got some numbers on what salary should look like next year, what the cap may look like, some kind of revenue losses, things like that. Uh, the NBA sort of put, put out everything that they've been working on behind the scenes now for us to look at and evaluate and review. So Scott has done a really nice job of putting that together. We'll certainly get into that in some detail. I want to flip now quickly to a little bit of football, just a bit of a wrap-up, uh, a bit of a recap as to what happened maybe over the weekend and a couple of days prior uh, since I've last spoken to you. Two, I guess, major stories. The one that's happening maybe as we speak right now in Dak Prescott, who does appear poised to sign this franchise tag. I think it's a phenomenal move. We are in uncertain times. Who knows if this if the season is going to get off or complete or, you know, what's going to happen from a 16 game standpoint, here's what we do know. What we do know is signing bonuses and, and roster bonuses and workout bonuses are all good. And, and plenty of, of people have already cashed in on those. But when it comes to, to the games, when it comes to the game paychecks, you're talking about the base salary, the P5 salary. And there's nobody in football who's got a higher P5 salary 
than Dak Prescott's franchise tag of $31.41 million. It's almost $8 million more than anyone else. Uh, Garoppolo's second at almost $24 million this year. So it's a big chunk of money. Yes, he will make more if he signs a multi-year contract, which he's got about three weeks to do. July 15th is the deadline for all those franchise tag players. I, I just don't know. I think this is a very safe move. What this does is at least shuts some of us up that, that are saying, is he going to just walk away from this season? So many unknowns from a health standpoint, is he just going to walk away? We know he's been working out. We know he's doing everything right behind the scenes. But from a contractual standpoint, he was sort of letting things hang out there. And to be honest, so was Dallas. So this at least puts a kibosh on that. We now know that he's likely going to report for everything, even if he doesn't get this multi-year contract, because... You know, this is money now he stands to lose. $31.4 million over a 17-week season. That's a lot of enchiladas to lose, okay? We're talking, you know, almost $1.85 million per week. So say what you will. <laughs> if, he, uh, if he misses any of those games, that's going to be on him. That's quite, a big, that's quite a big amount of money per week for a guy who's made, you know, a couple of million here over his rookie contract. That's good news. It means at least that he's, he's in. We've said this before. That franchise tag, the exclusive tag that he was offered, was just too high to say no to. I understand that he wants more multi-year security. He wants guaranteed money. He wants a piece of the pie that, you know, the Goffs and the Wences have all gotten already. He's going to get it, I think. <laughs> I think, right? Because if we just do fran two franchise tags here, now we have to start thinking like that. Now we got to start thinking about what happens if he gets another franchise tag next year. Well, that's $37.7 million. So you're talking about almost, six, almost $70 million over the next two years. He's probably going to get more than that on a multi-year extension based on how these other ones have been structured. So I don't think he should settle for that. I don't, I don't think he should be excited for that because there's probably more to, to be left on the table in doing that. But if that happens, that's a heck of a lot of moolah is what I'm saying here. When the Redskins went back-to-back -back franchise tags on Kirk Cousins in 2016 and 17, that totaled $44 million. So in the matter of a couple of years, double tagging a quarterback has gone from $44 million to $70 million. That's not an exponential increase. That is a gigantic jump. That is a benefactor of every quarterback who can play a little bit getting the next man up contract. And that's why Dak thinks he deserves it. That's why he wants the four-year extension at the maximum cost. And I think I do think he gets it. I do. I know there's a lot of uncertainties. I know Dallas is, you know, Jerry Jones is tough with these, and he, he kind of lets them go right down to the wire. I just don't think you screw around with this. But safe to say, now that the tag is signed, Dak understands what we think too. $31.5 million is a heck of a lot of money. And if I got to go through this again, $70 million over the next two years, that's life-changing money. Life-changing money. And then if I have to walk and go find another home after that, after $70 million for two years, it's a pretty good plan B, is my point. All right, another news. Cincinnati's got their quarterback. We have no idea what it's going to look like in, with Joe Burrow, especially with this kind of virtual offseason. I have no idea how, how these young guys are going to be getting themselves acclimated. Yeah, I, I just can't imagine you know, a modified training camp after no workouts, after no mini camps, after really no field work uh, with 11 on 11s. And then Joe Burrow is just going to be asked week one to go in there and play NFL football at a high level. That's, that is quite an ask, but we'll see. But it, it does sound like that Cincinnati is comfortable with him and they are going to start to feed this roster around him a little bit more, starting with AJ Green, who is also on a franchise tag. 
again, he's got till July 15th to make that extension work. Boy, is he tough. It's just a couple of really, really tough injury, injury filled seasons. You know, he's over 30. He's 31 going on 32 here. That franchise tag is over $17 million, which is, you know, again, that's a really good chunk of change for one year for a player who I'm not sure that they can trust more than one year in terms of health. It, it's, it's interesting. It, at most, I think A.J. Green's getting himself a two-year guarantee here, and that's really all either side can afford based on the age, based on the health. And just since Cincinnati shouldn't be locking in anybody long-term right now until they understand what they have. They've done good, decent, a decent due diligence on their offensive line and through the draft to at least put them in position to be young and talented and cheap so that their quarterback, their offensive line are in pretty good financial health. Sounds like they're going to give Joe Mixon an extension in a couple of weeks here. That'll probably be a little higher than they want, but you can understand that because there's really no one else on the roster who costs much at all uh, from an offensive standpoint. But giving A.J. Green, you know, I'd be surprised if we're talking even Amari Cooper money. If it's up there in the $20 million per year market, I understand that that's not even top wide receiver money. That's second tier. But it's uh, I just think a, a prove-it deal, which the franchise tag certainly can be, especially at that kind of money, $17.8 million, just seems right, all things considered. I mean, if it's week eight and you know what you have in A.J. Green, then you know as soon as this regular season finishes and he's eligible to get another contract, just you can make that happen. There's, you know, there's no reason to get him to free agency if you think it's going to work. I just feel like put him on the Larry Fitzgerald, Fitzgerald plan, whereas you know Larry made, is making good money on one-year contracts because he wants to be involved in the team to see this team get back on, on its feet. And certainly the Kyler Murray era appears to be doing that. And now you know add in DeAndre Hopkins and another season with Kenyon Drake, and I think Arizona is on the right path, and Larry doesn't want to leave. I think he could have retired three years ago but he's happy to play on these prove-it deals because he just wants to be along for the ride and put in a service and, and obviously produce any way he can. But, uh, and I'm not saying A.J. Green is washed up. You know, certainly he's younger than Larry Fitzgerald and uh, should have more juice in the legs, but the injuries are, they're difficult. Those are difficult to deal with. And, and we've seen so many young teams lock in so much core around young quarterbacks because they think they're in the window and they can just go without really seeing if that window is, is really here or if it's a myth, you know? Uh, I just, all things considered this offseason, congratulations on getting Joe Burrow, but let's give Joe Burrow six weeks before we really do anything rash. I might even say the same about Joe Mixon. There's no deadline on Joe Mixon. And if Joe Mixon has to get the free agency next year, we've talked about how many running backs are going to be available, maybe even Delvin Cook, one of them. Uh, so... You know, I'm I'm not I'm not big on Cincinnati pushing all their chips in this summer before this quarterback even takes the field, and this roster takes the field with a a coach that we we don't even know can do it on a high level. And Zach Taylor, I mean, he had a miserable season, miserable with a with a pretty capable quarterback in Andy Dalton. I don't think anybody really, you know, dislikes Andy Dalton. They just don't think he's elite enough to to take a team on his shoulders and go all the way. And that's perfectly fine. Many quarterbacks are not. But we certainly don't know if Joe Burrow's that kind of quarterback yet. That's all I'm saying. So there's, there's just so many what-ifs with this team. I would hate to see them be reckless with an A.J. Green contract, and uh, especially when they really don't have to. 
I mean, near 18 million right now for for AJ Green just seems about right. That's a heck of a prove it deal for both sides. Let's just keep it that way. All right, last piece of NFL news: Jamal Adams. You know, is he? Isn't he? Has he? Hasn't he? The the hot stove exists all summer long. It it now appears official that he has asked for a trade out of the out of New York, out of the Jets, who just don't value him, even though they drafted him number six overall as a safety. And you know, you can put all the comments and, and one liners out there you want about how safety shouldn't be paid twenty million dollars and blah blah blah. He's greedy and I'm crazy for suggesting that you know the Jets are going to get a first round pick for him and blah blah blah. It's fine. You know, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm right. Maybe he's right. Here's the thing. I, I know this for sure. You get drafted number six overall, you're getting a lot of money. And and you're going to be worth a lot in a trade. It's just fact. Do the math. Do the homework. Go back. See see how it works. I put an article up on spotchart.com this weekend that shows you the top 25 paid players at every position right now in the NFL and where they were drafted. And guess what? There ain't a lot of seventh rounders up there. <laughs> Okay, because those guys just don't get to the top of the pay pay chain. Wherever you come from limits where you can get to. So if you're a first round pick, yes, you can be the next man up and can go get that high that high pick. Certainly the quarterbacks are the anomalies. We're going to have a situation soon here where where Dak Prescott, a fourth rounder, maybe the atop the the uh, the food chain for a financial pay. Russell Wilson is there right now. He was a third round pick. You know, and then Mahomes is coming, Watson is coming. Those are certainly first-round picks. But generally speaking, if you look at these lists, these 25 players per position, it's a bunch of first-rounders. You're going to have a few UDFAs in there. And we talked about it a week, I think it was last week, Austin Eckler. He's a heck of a solid running back. Tons of yards from scrimmage, can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can do everything you want right now from from a running back in the NFL. He is mini Christian McCaffrey in a lot of ways. Christian McCaffrey was drafted number eight overall. Austin Eckler was undrafted. Christian McCaffrey got $16 million a year. Austin Eckler got $6.125 million a year. It's just fact. Austin Eckler is not $10 million less per year than Christian McCaffrey. He's not, but he is. That's the fact. That's a fact. (laughs) So uh, where you come from matters. It's going to matter in all negotiations. It is the agent's tool. It is the team's tool. Whichever works in, in their favor it, it, it pans out that way. It just does. Any, any red flags that can be brought to the, to the forefront, they get there. Um, and the only other notable thing to, to mention here with this article, if you can check it out at SpotTrack, check out the tight ends. Because generally speaking, you can quickly scroll through this article and you're going to look at the top couple players on each position and they're going to be first or second rounders. But man, you look at tight ends, it is a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. It's starting to look like you can really find really good value tight ends in the second, third, fourth rounds, maybe even later. There's a couple of fifth and sixth rounders on this list. Um, just, it's just a really mixed bag is what it is. And there's very few first rounders. If I'm looking quickly, I believe there's one, two, three, four out of 25 players. Tight ends were drafted in the first round. That's it. And they're not high. The highest one is Greg Olson. He's on his way out. So it, it's, it's becoming a thing. Tight ends in the first round, not going to happen much anymore. It's going to be, it's going to be a running back situation all over again. So neat little article, tons of, tons of quick data to look at there, but it does, uh, it does speak to Jamal Adams. That's why kind of why I did this in the, in the first place. There are not many safeties. In fact, there is, there are no safeties right now 
in the top 25 who were taken in the top 10 of the draft. Zero. Zilch. The highest paid, highest drafted safety in football right now, quickly looking, is Earl Thomas, who was taken number 14 overall, as well as Malcolm Jenkins, number 14 overall. That's it. 14. We know what Earl Thomas has done, and he's cashed in even at an older age. Eddie Jackson, the top paid safety at $14.6 million, was drafted in the fourth round. Kevin Byard, $14.1 million, third round. Can you tell me the number six overall pick three years ago isn't going to surpass that by a ton? He's going to crush it. Now, that's, that's why he's asking for $20 million, because he is... He thinks from his draft stock and his production, he's been, you know, a two-time pro bowler or one-time all-pro player already in three years. Um, You know, he believes that he is an elite defensive player, not just a safety, defensive player. Um, This is sort of the George Kittle versus tight ends conversation. At some point, players just transcend their position. McCaffrey as well. He just transcended the position. Couldn't even look at him as a running back because that was just part of his role. I think a lot of people think that with Jamal Adams. And you can gripe and complain that he doesn't cover anybody. But sometimes those are the, those are the most important guys because they see the whole field. They're the, they're the quarterbacks in the, on the defensive side of the ball. That's why players like C.J. Mosley and Bobby Wagner have been paid so much, $17, $18 million for inside linebackers. Uh, that kind of intangible, being able to see the field and run the defense and, and man the defense, that's Jamal Adams' role right now on a bad Jets team. Let's be frank. So if he goes to a winning team, if he, go, if he joins the Cowboys, if he joins the Chiefs, if he joins the Eagles, contending teams, um, he's going to be asked to do that role on a bigger stage. And that's going to be worth a lot of money. We value him at about $15 million, right above that Eddie Jackson's mark. I know why he's asking for 20. I don't think he's worth 20, of course, but he's asking for 20 because he believes he is an elite defensive player, not just an elite safety. So the starting point is 15 million. The starting point for a trade is you know, a first rounder and then some, I, I put it up there that Jalen Ramsey acquired was acquired for two first and a fourth. So in what breath does Jamal Adams live in that company? I understand that he's not covering number one wide receivers specifically, but his role may be just as important on any, any specific defense. So it's going to be $15 million. It's going to be a really sizable trade if it happens, but why would the jets trade him? Why would the jets trade him? There's two years left in this contract. He's set to make $3.6 million this year, and he's got a $9.8 million fifth-year option that they exercised already. $12.5 million over the next two years for the best safety in football. You don't trade that guy. And if he holds out, then that's money you're not paying. That's money you're not paying. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't trade that guy if I'm the New York Jets. So we'll see. That could be quite a little off-season standoff between those two. And uh, I get it. I do get it from Jamal Adams' standpoint. I get why he's asking what he's asking for. I understand why his value is what it is. And if you look at these other safeties, he belongs at the top of this list. No question. There's no question. Have you ever wanted to take a shot at getting a $12,000 Michael Jordan rookie card or a $1,600 autographed Tom Brady helmet for just a fraction of the price? Hit Parade is the premier authentic autographed sports memorabilia mystery box manufacturer in the country. Take a shot at getting an autographed item from the biggest names in sports. Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Zion Williamson, Mike Trout, and plenty more, possibly even Ken Griffey Jr. Get your box today at Hip Parade's exclusive online provider, dacardworld.com. dacardworld.com. No one has more hits than Hip Parade. 
Joining me now on the Hit Parade Hotline, Scott Allen, back again for a another NBA stint here. This one's a little bit more specific. We we have a plan in place, certainly with the bubble and the NBA, um, and maybe that's a little bit questionable at this point with this recent spike in COVID, but we're going to act as if this thing's going to happen. Scott's got a, a timeline and a bunch of numbers here that sort of play into the rest of this season and then into the 2021 season. At least this is what the NBA is saying now. Obviously, this is all subject to change. But, Scott, let's start with the schedule. What's it looking like at least June, July, August for the remainder of this season here? Yeah, so the transaction window, which we'll talk about here in a second, starts tomorrow, uh, June 23rd, goes through June 30th. Uh, The last day to opt out is June 24th. Uh, So there was one of those today uh, with Bertans from the Wizards. So he's said he's not going to play. He's an unrestricted free agent and doesn't want to chance it. Uh, Just flat out doesn't get paid, right? Just loses the rest of his salary? Yeah, he does. He uh, will lose approximately $604,000 at minimum if the um, uh, Wizards only play the eight games. But he's a top priority for... The Wizards and is going to be coveted for other teams as well. He's looking so for he's, money. He's the first year. one. Yeah, I mean, he's going to make a lot yeah, of money in the offseason. So this is really just, I'm I'm going to bet on myself, make sure I don't get injured, which he's already been banged up. So, yeah. you know, throwing away 600 grand to turn into potentially 20 million is probably a pretty smart move. What's your sense on other other players doing this? Will there be a handful? I would assume so, but I have not heard other names. Like I said, this was the first one to drop. Um, yeah, I, I don't think the I don't think the Lakers players are that. doing this, but these fringe teams, I would imagine, maybe a couple of more, right? Yeah, you would think so, especially Portland. if they're free agent or they have the injury issues, and you don't want to uh, go in and hammer on your body for twenty days. Yeah, for five um, percent of your salary, right? So, exactly. Right. So it's going to be a a delicate balance for some players, but those teams that are in the upper echelon, I I would assume most of those are going to to play. Um, So that leads us into the rest of this timeline here. So in-market training camps will run from June 30th to June, uh, June 30th to July 7th. And then teams will travel to Orlando from the July 7th to the 11th. Training camps will happen for 20 days from July 9th to the July 29th. And then the seeding games will start on July 30th, play through August 14th. And then the playoffs really begin on August 17th. And then NBA finals, we're looking at September 30th hmm. through October 13th. Okay. I mean, that's a lot of days and a lot of players going. <laughs> That's, I, I just can't, I can't get away from the negatives, unfortunately. I can't be too optimistic with this, seeing what we're seeing. But there's certainly a plan. I, I mean, let's move forward. Let's move into what this means for, you know, filling out these roster spots. What, what's going to happen in terms of, of salary and pay for the re- remainder of all this? I know the NBA sort of laid this out nicely. So uh, hammer on through it, Scott. Yeah, so like I said, the, the window for transactions is going to be June 23rd, uh, starting at 12 PM runs through June 30th, uh, 11 59 PM and teams can convert two way players to their roster. They can sign rest of season contracts. Hmm. They can waive players. 
they can sign players if there is an open roster spot. And those players can be, uh, if they were on an NBA team since September 30th of 2019 or on a G League for that same period, but not on a non-NBA professional team. So anyone that was overseas no playing. No okay. Uh, during, that was going to be no a question Bogut, of mine, no. so no Bogut. So you can't just go and pick yeah. some players off from other countries here. Okay. Right. So they, they spe- specifically designated those players can be – because they don't want to have to have a guy come over and then have to quarantine and all this. They want to make it as seamless as possible. Um, let if, me, Scott, let me throw this at you. You might not know the answer, but maybe it's just logical. What if a player was five days into a 10-day contract when Rudy Gobert tested positive? Yeah, that, t- that five days will run out. Um, Has it already, or does it toll to uh, what, what the start date is here, July 30th? I believe it'll, it'll finish off the days, and then okay. it will, because at that time of March 11th, everything paused. Okay, so he's so, got five five games left, so it would start up again July thirtieth. Okay, that was my, that was my logical answer, but I just wanted to see if you had any clarif- clarification to that. Yeah, like one of the guys that's going to be is like Joakim Noah. Mm-hmm. I mean he he was on a ten day contract. They'll be able to re-sign him at some point, and um, so he's just an example. If they do sign some players. The two two year minimum vet cap hit would be just over one hundred eighty three thousand dollars, and that's because it's twenty days at the minimum. Any of those players that sign at that value, they're automatically going to be a unrestricted free agent, no matter what. Whether they had one year experience or two years experience, there won't be the restricted free agent tag onto them for that. So um, that that that's a this season only uh, entity. Uh, the other this season only entity is two-way players are eligible to play. So they're giving the teams uh, a little bit of a buffer where instead of just carrying your 15-man roster, you can carry your 17 and have both mm. your two-way players on the roster. So in case you need to so uh, fill in. M- more depth, but also more bodies in that bubble. Correct. Ugh. If if the teams if the teams choose to go that route, yeah. Uh, Scott, how many teams? Other... Do, how many teams do you have a sense are going to need to make some moves here, uh, or or were? I, I mean, I, I think the thing that's kind of hard to understand is, you know, injuries that were happening in March. I, I would imagine for the most part have leveled out. You know, have bec- those players are healthy now. Mm-hmm. I, I know there's obviously a couple of big names who are not going to play like Irving and Durant and them, but. I mean, what's your sense of where rosters sit right now? Is there going to be kind of a rash of movement here starting tomorrow? Well, there's a handful of teams that do have one open roster spot. There are some teams that still have some two-way player opens. There may be some movement as far as waving players and then teams claiming them. So one of the teams that you may see make a move as far as waving a player and hoping uh, one of these teams picks that player up is Minnesota. <laughs> they are about $682,000 above their tax line. So if they wave a player and another team picks that player up, that cap hit completely transfers to the other team. So they could essentially get down below that luxury tax threshold 
if another team wants to are, do that. Are so they going to Orlando? No, Minnesota, definitely not. They're like the third worst team. So. Wow. So, oh, wow. So that would be really interesting. So it's just going to be, be a behind-the-scenes move for tax purposes only. Um, boy, that's really interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I, I do wonder if we see more of that. You're right. It's not just the teams going. These, There are... Yeah, and it could be a, 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 for lack of a better word, a, a circumvent right. via trade because you could essentially say, "Hey, wink, wink, we're going to waive this guy," and depending on where teams are on that waiver list, right? Uh, it, it they could waive a guy, and then they uh, the team could pick him up without necessarily having to do a trade, and then you know, again, it's a. It, it's circumventing yeah, in a way. We, we, we generally see that. I mean, we mentioned Boga. That, that was kind of a shady move a couple of years back, right around, you know, leading up to the playoffs. So it's not like this stuff doesn't happen, uh, you know, late in the regular season in the NBA anyway. So it's kind of good to see that they've at least reenacted that. And they're letting all these teams have some sort of finish to the season in terms of transactions because it's just been radio yeah. silent now for three and a half months. So uh, I do think we'll see. I didn't even think about, you're right, teams that have to get financially healthy here heading into the offseason. So there's going to be that as well, maybe even more so. I, I would imagine the playoff teams as a, in a majority are pretty set in stone, you know, maybe an injury here and there. But, yeah, you're right. These teams that are sitting home and just kind of crunching numbers, that's gonna, there's going to be some movement. There's going to have to be. Yeah, probably. And then to go further in your question, yeah, there's replacement players that could happen during the system. So uh, b- between July 1 and August 14th, those are the, that's the date range for any substitutions that need to be made because a player tested positive or um, something else comes up. So, uh, so how does that work from a salary age. standpoint, Scott? So with the salary, it would still follow as is um their salaries would be in there if they signed a player uh for the rest of season they're essentially signing them at a prorated minimum for that 20 game or 20 days um to okay get through, through so it works like games. an injured reserve kind if, of and the, the player that tests positive is going to be paid in full um because of the unfortunate circumstance but then the replacement player will also be paid obviously so it's it's going to cost money. Yeah, so it's going to cost money for positive that, tests here. So if we, if like we talked about in the previous pod, players can be excused or protected based on if they are the possibility of them getting the virus and and having to be moved out. Right. So. There's that 14 game cap, and it's based on that force majeure, which is the one out of 92.6 uh, is for the salary reduction maximum of 14 games. And that's where Bertans comes in. He's going to miss out. So he's capped at the 14 games, regardless of how many, uh, if the Wizards did move on into the playoffs. Right. And that makes sense. A player, a player, then if a player opts to. Um, like Dwight Howard, he would lose approximately $388,000 if he chose to opt out. And anyone that is a quote-unquote replacement player during the season has to have three years of experience or fewer. 
So you can't just go out and sign as a replacement player, someone that has 10 years experience. If you want to sign someone with nine or 10 years of experience, you have to have a physical roster spot open to sign those players. So that is a, uh, a, a definite stipulation that they threw in there so that teams aren't saying, oh, we need to replace this player and we're going to bring in you know, J.R. Smith, for lack of a better uh, player. <laughs> I didn't even think about that name. So uh, so th- they've thought of those aspects as far as replacement player and actually signing a player using their uh, physical roster spots. So yeah, there's going to be some movement, n- no doubt. Um, it's just a matter of what teams are going to do with the limited time that they have to, to sign players here. They really only have a week. Okay. What else? I mean, is how's the league going to yeah, be so, affected by this, you know? Yeah. So a couple, couple different things. And again, we've talked about these, but we have a little bit more concrete information here. So the bonuses, that uh, are pending per certain players. The NBA has decided to use the March 11th date as the cutoff for any incentives, and then they will be prorated based on that March 11th. So, for example, Drew Holiday, he had a 66 games threshold uh, for his 2,075 minutes. That 66 games was based out of an 82-game schedule. That will now be prorated down to 51 games, which he's already played, and he will meet that. So for lack of so, a better term, they, they're going by percentages. Well, <laughs> yes, th- they are, but if anyone has a per-game average as their b- bonus incentive, that does not count. It has to be strictly based off of a raw mm. value, not a per game entity. Okay. Um, okay. So some other examples of players that would shift is Kelly Olnick with the Miami Heat. He had 1,700 minutes. That will be prorated down to 1,500 minutes um, because of the 65 they've already played plus the eight games that they will play. Hey, Scott, are these um, bonuses legitimate enough to where it would it would really – force these guys to go and do this, even if they had reservations. Um, I'm just trying to get a sense of where these kind of ancillary bonuses come in, in the NBA. Well, some of them have already been designated as likely to be earned. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of keeping that triggered for the following season. Uh, Some have it and it's, it's minor. It may be like a $50,000 or a hundred thousand dollar, uh, incentive that may get triggered it, and it it's going to affect the cap, but not, n- not to a n- drastic measure. Okay. Okay. So, all right. And what about the league? I mean, what's going on with revenue and all that good stuff? Are they kind of pushing things so, into 2021 or are they going to, uh, I mean, this is, uh, I'm asking these specific questions because there's so much, there's so much else to learn about these other leagues. I feel like the NBA can be our foundation piece for this. Yeah. So there's from the reports that I've read, it sounds like they're projecting to be around $7 billion, which means they're going to lose about 380 million, which is held in the escrow player salaries. They're projecting to lose around $200 million, but they've already been 
They've already withdrawn the, about $109 million from that due to those three paychecks of that 25% really? taken out. So they're about halfway through the projected loss in salary. Um, on top of that, it sounds like the last reduction is going to be no later than August 1st. So you've got at least three more paychecks, it sounds like, that may get taken out. So, and, and as mentioned before, some of the players that have reductions that are going to be pulled out of their 2020 salary are players like LeBron or Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, uh, Stephen Curry, John Wall, a couple others. But those are players that are going to have that taken out of their advance for the 2020 season or their November 15th paycheck. Um if the can if the season is canceled outright from what i've read their their loss could be as much as 2 billion dollars so Ooh. it it, uh, it it could be substantial um wow. outside i mean of that's that, going to destroy the cap it's just going to destroy it. It, it well leading into that it sounds like a lot of the teams are just planning that there there's going to be some language where the cap is going to remain the same. That's how a lot of teams are operating as of right now, that it's going to be at the 109 million cap and the 132 seven. Will there be other cap. concessions or do we not know that yet? We don't know that yet. Because that seems yeah. like if they're going to, well, I guess that's only if the season's canceled, if the season's canceled, I cannot see that happening. I can't, I, it's going to have to drop, right? I mean, that's a, that's too much revenue lost, not the drop. So yeah, if, if it's lost, yes, I think you would have to see it probably go down a bit, but if they can sustain what they're saying is going to happen, I think that what they have projected right now is going to, going to be the status quo moving forward. So some of the uh, additional salary that the player is going to earn if they're in Orlando is they're going to be paid $134 per diem stipend. Uh, meals, transportation, hotel, that's all going to be covered by the NBA, but they're going to go in this $134 uh, dollar per day stipend, which means at a minimum, players are going to receive uh, $5,500 even if they're not reaching the playoffs. If they reach the NBA, NBA finals, it could go all the way up to about $13,000. Yeah, so this really is like college. <laughs> yeah. It's like room and yeah, board. Really is. Room and board for a couple of months, and we'll see what happens. Um, okay. Yeah. And, and I know one of the questions you had on a previous pod and I went and tried to find it and I did find it where the 92.6 force majeure mm. value comes from for the denominator. And it, they stipulate it based on five exhibition games plus the 82 regular season games. And then they average 5.6 playoff games. So, so that's, that's the team the average on an annual basis. That makes sense to me. Okay. All right. So what about so next year? What do we, what do we know about next year, Scott? I mean, it seems ridiculous to yeah, look there, so but this is going to be bang, bang, right? It is. And some of this information has just come out in the last day or two. So the, as far as college athletes are concerned, the NBA early entry deadline is August 17th. And then they have until a withdrawal date of October 6th. So that will lead up to an NBA draft day of October 16th. Hmm. So they have up to 10 days before the draft to withdraw uh, from the draft. 
And then that will lead us into NBA free agency, which will begin on October 18th at 6 p.m. And the moratorium will be from the from that time up to October 23rd. Okay. Uh, so we're, we're we're getting into late October as far as these free agency dates. So new and new league year October 24th as of now. Is that is that what am I reading this yeah, correctly? Well, October 18th would be the new league year, but everything goes into effect as far as salaries and all the free agency negotiations on the 14th. So yes. Uh, So where that helps is as we've talked about in the past with player deadline, player options, club options, guaranteed dates. Now we have a, a hard date for when, Anthony Davis and some of these other players are going to have to say when their player options are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that aligned with an October 18th date um, as far as when things start. So Anthony Davis would have to determine his player option on October 17th. Uh, some guaranteed deadlines that were originally supposed to be June 28th now will be October 17th as well. Players like uh, Taj Gibson, uh, Reggie Bullock, uh, Ellington, those kind of players that have those guaranteed dates. And then um, all cap details are past that July 7th date are still to be determined. Okay, so, so I have one I big question for you that I know you can't answer, but we, we've got to talk about this. So you, okay. mentioned, you mentioned how there's absolutely going to be a revenue loss. We knew that starting the season before COVID even hit us. Um, I mean, this was going to be a tough year right out of the gate. It's a it's a brutal year now, and it could be a ridiculously brutal year depending on how this bubble works out. So we get to, uh, what's it, October 10th, let's say, is the last game. And you're telling me in two weeks, <laughs> yeah, in less than two weeks, the official league year is going to start, really in one week. Really, it's going to be eight days later. Everything's going to kick in. And you're going to tell me that there's going to be options decided and free agents signed and trades processed and how the heck is the is the league going to know the cap number how the heck are they going to know anything yeah that's a that's an excellent question they're going to give themselves 100 hours between the end of this I, of this season which is who knows how much money they're going to make i mean i i understand you can lock so, in tv ads and things like that up up front so you can have a sense of revenue but what if they have to cancel the Eastern uh, the conference? I don't know. I mean, anything could go wrong here. It's going to have to be a sliding scale with the, with the revenue based on, unless they really just think if they get to October 1st, you know, or something like that, then the cap is just going to stay 109. And anything other yeah. than that, it's going to have to be, you know, slightly be affected. But, and you, boy, I mean, you and I have been clamoring for this for months now. Maybe they're they're saying the same thing we are behind closed doors, which is it the cap cannot go down. It's got to remain 109. So let's just make it 109 and work around it. Do you think that's the case? Yeah, I do. I think you answered the question. I think it's going to be probably that 109. Like I said, from what I've read, GMs are just acting as if the cap is going to remain the same. And, and yeah, it's it's a short time frame, so the the calculations are going to be off because sure uh shortened time what is the revenue actually going to be during the i mean usually they have a month or so to really crunch numbers and and get everything in to figure out what that cap is going to be so i think everyone is just 
in their mindset of it's going to be 109. We're going to operate as such and uh, hope everything goes through through the through the uh, seeding time, the playoffs, and and they can just go from there and and uh, hmm. not have to worry about a decline. I hope so. I think we all kind Me of too. understand that's too. the best way to to attack this. Uh, even if the business side of things are going to take a gigantic hit, which we know they are, keeping the basketball finances at least aligned, parallel, just seems so important. So I, this sounds like they're on the same page as we are, which that's good to hear because it's going to be easier for everybody, ourselves included, <laughs> to kind of be able to project and track and understand how these numbers are going to look in a couple of months. But I can't imagine if you know, tragedy strikes and, and many of these games have to be canceled or, or postponed or however this is going to work. And then they have to address the 2021 season immediately based on these deadlines. So it's, it's tight. It's going to be magical if this all works out as, as they've planned, because it really is bang, bang, bang. But again, they have a plan. We are, we have bullet noted details of exactly what should happen if everything goes as planned. And I understand that other leagues are probably doing this, but Hopefully they're doing it to this degree because this is really, really impressive to, to at least have this much, much chalked out on the board basically through October. So it yeah, seems like it could work. Don't you agree? <laughs> I, I do agree that and I, and I have to also commend them because it, it's not where we're getting piecemeal here and there and there. When something comes out, yeah. it all comes out. And yeah, they're not it, tweeting, they're writing book reports. <laughs> they are. And then uh, reporters like Woj and Shams, it's not just intermittent here and there. It is tweet after tweet after tweet after tweet of detailed information. Yeah, they're being fed how things are the, be. the, the, the thorough detail so that they can convey the message properly. It's, it's a really good process. It's been, really been done well. Um, I guess let's end on this because that's probably enough NBA numbers for anybody out there. <laughs> who's still awake at this point. I understand. Uh, we do have some news on baseball that I'd be remiss not to discuss, even though I'm sick of it. The players have officially voted no on this 60, 60 game full prorated salaries as we kind of expected would happen, which basically means all signs are now pointing to Rob Manford, just basically taking the gauntlet and saying, okay, the season's going to start July 29th and it's going to work exactly like we thought it was going to work back in March, which is, 50-some games, full prorated salaries. Whoever wants to come and play can play. That's what it sounds like it's going to happen. So there, I think there will be baseball. Uh, I don't think I'm breaking any news here, and it sure sounds like it's going to start right around the same time as basketball here, um, although it'll be city to city. And my guess is now that they've gotten to this point and the players have not agreed to 60 games, that it's going to drop back down to 50, and they're going to take some time to get behind closed doors and hammer out a schedule and go from there. I, I I would imagine that negotiations are done in, in baseball, that this is simply going to be in the hands of the commissioner and he's going to put together something hopefully as thorough as, as Adam Silver has done here so that we can get this thing hammered out and get them back on the field in really five weeks. So a little bit of breaking news that I'm sure nobody's surprised to hear, but I, I do think this is the end of the back and forth, if I had to guess, and that it's going to be pretty simple from here out. What's going to be very interesting, and we kind of open with this on the NBA side, how many of these players are going to say thanks, but no thanks? How many, how, how many, right. how many Mike Trouts or 30 million plus salaries are going to say, it's just not worth my time and my body, my physical body toll to go out there for $6 million and taking a $30 million bath. 
you know, for games that are going to be quicker. The, the, the risk of injury is going to be way higher. The risk of health, obviously, with COVID is way higher. So uh, to me, that's going to be the worst part of this. I think, I think now that we've gotten to a point where the front offices are just going to have to say, let's just do it this way. Let's, let's put together a schedule. That's, fine. that's probably pretty, pretty easy, even though 50 games is a joke of a season. But how many of these players are going to say that that's not going to work for me? Because that's going to get really ugly. You're going to see some personal attacks. You're going to see, you know, they don't really love the game comments. You know how that's going to go. It's going to go ugly because, you know, you can say that losing $30 million is something. But if you're still making six, there's a lot of people out there that say, you know, they do a lot of things for $6 million. So I, I do think it's about to get really ugly from a player standpoint from here out. Yeah. Let me ask you this. If they're opting to go back to that original deal, what are, where are they playing the games? Are they playing in Arizona? Are they playing in Vegas? That's or? what I mean. All that's got to be hammered out right now because all those spots okay. are, are ugly right now. Those are all facing massive spikes in the virus. Um, I think, I do believe the plan with, a, with many of these offers was to go play in home stadiums with no fans. So I don't know if the plan is to travel the country. Um, or, or I know there was something fluttered out there about staying regionalized and playing your division and, you know, the combined national league division, for instance, the NL East and the AL East would play a bunch of games, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, we'll see. I think it's a, uh, I think it's just going to have to be this for now because these two, these two sides hate each other so much. It's, it's embarrassing. And Oh, by the way, this is all going to happen again this time next year when the CBA situation comes into the fold. But if, if a player chooses to not show up, got me, can they, can, can they be suspended and lose the money or are they still, are they still obligated? Well, that's the problem with putting everything in the hands of the commissioner, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My guess is it's going to get, it's going to lean more towards that than it would, you know, a prorated version of your salary just to say, no, I I can't imagine. Like I mentioned, like I said, these guys, this is not a good situation. This is not a good relationship. There's not going to be many handshake deals that go along with this. Um, You know, if, if Blake Snell stays home, I just don't know how much of that $3 million he's going to see. My guess would be absolutely zero. Um, The the right thing to do, I think, I think what many of the players would like to do at this point, is just toll the season and push everything into 2021 on full salaries and hope the thing can get off the ground in April rather than, like I said, take a $30 million bath from Mike Trout and Garrett Cole and play a couple of games just to get on TV and then, you know, maybe win a ring. <laughs> um, here's here, I'll end with this because I really just don't have any answers outside of this breaking news, which, you know, we can all put our opinions on. Here's, what, here's the worst part of, about Major League Baseball not getting something amicable done. The teams that were that were going to contend, the teams that were going to be good and were going to fight down the stretch here, were your major markets. You were going to have the Yankees. You were going to have the Dodgers. You might have had the Angels. Houston was going to be involved, which isn't a huge market, but lately big enough to draw eyeballs on, on a national level. All of your best teams right now were in the prime markets. So from an ad perspective, from a TV revenue perspective, it was going to be the perfect storm. All you had to do was get on the field for for a considerable amount of games you know if you could have done 100 games and given this a, a real chance to sort of evolve it was going to come down to the yankees and and the big boy teams at the end of the day I, they really squandered something here they really missed an opportunity i mean 
the Dodgers alone could have been one of the most interesting teams we've had in quite some time with the acquisition of Mookie Betts that they made and David Price, by the way. So they really missed out here. Even if, even if they play 50 games and, and we get some semblance of baseball back in the field, um, just the idea that they didn't, they weren't self-aware enough to understand not only is how damaging this could be for the fans, but just how good of a season I think they had in front of them with the Astros being st- cheaters. And like I said, these major markets that were ready to compete, their windows are here. Uh, too, too bad. It's really too bad for the game because it's been screwed up pretty bad. And like I said, it's only going to get worse next year, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. All right. Anything else on the NBA or anything else that you want to talk about? I mentioned a little bit about Dak. I don't think we have too much more to say there. Um, I watched a, bu- a bunch mm-hmm. of soccer this week. I don't know where you stand with any of that stuff. Are you watching anything at this point? Uh, I caught a couple games here and there okay. uh, just to catch it. And I watched the uh, EPL with crowd noise pushed in <laughs> yeah. and not, not crowd noise. I, I found both both interesting. Um, I mean, with no crowd noise uh, being pushed in, I mean, you could really hear the the players talking oh, back yeah. and forth, the yelling. I mean, it was it was really interesting. You had to go to the app to watch it, but I, I found it fascinating from that standpoint of how clear you could really hear them and how much the noise really in an actual game subdues all that that talking. Um, and, and then the the pushed in uh, crowd noise. It, it was fine. Yeah. It sounded like a, a typical soccer game where yeah. everyone's chanting the same kind of thing over and over. So it, I watched both just to get a, an idea of how both were going to be. And it was good. It was soccer. It was, yeah. um, it, it was what it was supposed to be. And, and they're back on the field. Hopefully they can, they can stay there and we're going to see more. We'll see it with the MLS coming in and, um, I did not catch any golf. I know, I believe you watched a little bit of that. I did not watch any of the golf. So, yeah, I, um, I mean, of all of it, I think golf is really just, it feels the most normal at this point. So it's, I'm trying to catch as much as possible. Let's finish on this, Scott. I mean, I'm, I'll give you a, a tough question on, to finish off on here. July 15th, that franchise tag deadline. Dak? Uh, you just locked in 31.5 yeah. million. I think he's going to ride on that. Okay. Yeah, I think he's going to ride on that. Take his chances next year with a better market? Yeah, I think so. All right, good stuff. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off. And like I said, really awesome Ken Griffey Jr. piece from the MLB staff at The Athletic, really breaking down memories and stories and details and things we watch on the documentary. My thanks to Hit Parade. Visit dacardworld.com and get your mystery memorabilia box. You never know. Jordan stuff, Griffey stuff, all sorts of memorabilia across the sports landscape. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast. 